comes down to this. The one thing. Let me hear you say the one thing. You guys are going to be so tired of that by the time we're done. It's so good. The one thing, it's our journey through 1 Corinthians. It's going great. Uh, but I want you to notice that I'm preaching from a barnyard today. Anybody notice that? It's a little different than usual. And we actually do have a live drummer this morning. David Hromick was drumming for us. He was out behind the barn, you know. Some people say that's where you should put the drummers, out behind the barn. But not David. You missed his mustache. He's got such a great mustache. I'm sorry you missed that today. Anyway, we have a barnyard here because tomorrow we kick off kids camp. And it's a week, it's a week of Jesus uh, being made known to 450 little kiddos that are going to be roaming around this building and 120 adult volunteers. So thank you so much. Be praying for them. It's an impactful time where oftentimes little kids give their hearts to Christ at this camp. And so be praying that that will happen at this, at this camp. And of course, be praying for safety as well. But it might surprise you that I allow them to set up the stage like this before church on Sunday, like they could do it after church. And I want to mention that because it's very important that you understand how much we value children at North County. And the fact that letting them do this on Thursday was a lot better for the team as they got a rest and get ready for the spiritual impact of the camp and they didn't have to be worrying about the stage. In fact, we stripped the entire stage. They came in and set up and then Becky ran the cables and Joel ran the, all the cable stuff happened after them. And I, I want to say that to you because it's kind of what we're talking about today in this message. And it's the fact that, that we have the opportunity as brothers and sisters in Christ to prefer one another to defer to one another, to value one another highly, even more than ourselves. If, if possible, that we would put you in a position, we'd put each other in the position to thrive. And, and that's why we try to do what we can do for Kids Place and other ministries of the church. It's what we really truly believe in, that we're a family. And so as a family, we want one another to win, right? We want one another to do well. We want God to have his way. So what you see today is kind of a picture of what I want to talk to you about Today, and that is what do you do in the family, in the church, when there are competing values, or there's a conflict, or there's some sort of a grievance between brothers and sisters in Christ? What do you do with that? And that's what we're looking at today. How do we respond when what one person does is good for them, but not maybe good for somebody else, right? And it's all valid. So I want you to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to take a turn and talk a little bit more about something else I already mentioned during the family dedication. And so turn to chapter 6, verse 1. Paul's going to talk about how to solve conflict in the church, okay? Here we go. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's us. We're the saints. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Otherwise, why do you go to the lost, the unrighteous, to settle your cases? I say this to your shame. Can it be there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? 
Why not rather be defrauded, which means being taken advantage of, but you yourselves wrong and defraud or cheat even your own brothers? Wow. Paul gets a little bit heavy with us this morning, right? And so you've been learning that Corinth was a very, very, you know, um, anything went in that city. And we've talked about the last few weeks how sex and sexual practice was very common in Corinth. Lawsuits were also very, very common. The courts were always busy with people. And they were bringing cases that were trivial. They just didn't matter, you know, that much. And, and bribing was a thing. They lived in this culture of the, bribing the judges, you know, offer them a little money under the table and they would win your case for you. And all of this got carried into church. And so when the Corinthians got saved, they came into church and they brought these practices with them in a church. And Paul's simply saying, hey, things have changed for you now. You're part of the family. You're brother, sister in Christ. Uh, no longer do you go to the unrighteous to settle your cases, but unity becomes the one thing. Unity is what drives us, the love of Christ in us and the unity that it brings, right? So we want to settle our disputes with one another within the body or the family of Christ. So number one in your notes today, we win when our conflicts resolve in reconciliation and unity. In other words, winning is not necessarily winning your case anymore. Now, we do want justice. We do want righteousness to prevail. We want the right thing, right? But winning really becomes about restoration, reconciliation, and unity with your brother or sister in Christ. So let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room today. Um, Church people fight. They do. Whether you're a marriage, you know you fight, right? If you're a marriage and you're part of the church, uh, you're fighting as brothers and sisters. If you're married, have you thought about that? If you're married and in the church, you're still brothers and sisters in Christ. That sounds a little weird to me, but it is, Lyndon. These things happen. Um, (laughs) So, so, but, so, but here's the thing, and I'm a result of that, by the way. So, here's, here's the thing. We all have differing opinions and values and perspectives, and we bring them to the church. And then we have different life experiences, and we have triggers in our life, and, and people do and say things that can set us off, right? And here's the beauty of the church, in my opinion. The beauty of the church is here you have this this dumping ground of people from all different places and opinions and perspectives and values. And it's the love of God in Christ Jesus that unifies us. And then it becomes not becoming the person that gets their way all the time, but then it becomes about being the person who gives way and who wants your brother or your sister to thrive. I just want to let you know that the church plays a very important role in settling issues for people. I mean, I work with marriages all the time. And that's kind of the smallest unit, right, of, of where there's going to be conflict. But all the time I'm working with marriages, I'm helping them settle conflicts, keeping them out of the courts. Um, it may be conflicts between parents and teens. It may be step families uh, that are involved with parenting plans. Uh, it may be between staff members. Sometimes our staff members fight because we're family, right? We're brothers and sisters. I also deal with sometimes with businesses or sometimes contractor and homeowner and, and they both go to our church, and there's a problem. How many of you know that sometimes you're not always happy with the product? And so where do you go, right? Um, maybe you should try your church first, and that means all of us. I'm not the, like I'm not the judge and jury. All of us, small groups, friendships, uh, people working with one another to help solve those problems. Now, that being said, I believe in our justice system, and I believe there are times when things are beyond my pay grade, things are beyond your pay grade, maybe there's a lawsuit, maybe there's a, a, you know, some sort of an insurance claim that has to be triggered by a lawsuit. That's the world we live in. 
And so I appreciate so much um, the justice system and those people out there, especially when they're followers of Christ and they can bring Christ to their place of work, right? But Paul is saying, here's what it is, really. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, in the church, why would you take your everyday disputes to the courts, to the very place where the people that rule are oftentimes unrighteous and they're taking bribes? You're brothers now. You're sisters now. You're a family. Let's try to handle things differently than we did before because if you go to the courts, even if you win your suit, you may have lost for the church because of how the world is going to see you, right? So there's a couple of reasons that, that Paul is referring to here why you would settle things in-house. And here's number one. To win is to lose if you do not love. To win is to lose if you do not love. If, if you're motivated by greed or you're motivated by only justice and there's no love involved, then, then you, may, you may lose. You may lose. And what God may want you to do is simply lay it down. Is simply say, okay, this time I'm going to give. I'm going to give in. Now, that doesn't mean you do the wrong thing. That doesn't mean uh, that, that you know, truth and honesty doesn't prevail. But it means that sometimes you, you have to give way for your brother or your sister in Christ. Now, we have some millennials working for us, and I love that. They're like 40 years younger than me, which is pretty awesome, right? Uh, they call me the old guy. And, and Delcy, Delcy is one of these millennials, and she's a... She's, <laughs> Gen Z, sorry. She's a Gen Z. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I get corrected all the time about things. And so oftentimes I'll come to Delcy and I'll have this little saying, you know, the old guy saying or the parent saying. And, and this is one of those sayings that Delcy may not understand. And it's this. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. You have any idea what that means? No, right, because you're 20-something. But... But those of you beyond 50, what, you know what that means, right? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And that simply means that I want things to be as good for you as they are for me. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If it's going to be good for me, it should be good for everybody. And I believe that this is the way that God wants us to think about one another, but also to think about the lost. That he wants us to, be on, to become people that practice deferring, practice preferring, practice, you know, adding value to people's lives, not just adding value to our own lives, right? So to submit in a conflict sometimes can, can provide the biggest win because you may win the heart of a brother. You may win the heart of a sister. And again, you know, the context I'm giving you this in is that, yes, we want honesty, we want truthfulness, but sometimes somebody has to give way, and that becomes a kingdom win. The other reason for this is that the world is watching, the world is watching us, the church, to see if we really have the goods, to see if what we say we believe, we truly believe. And Paul is saying, really, you're going to let the world settle your squabbles? You're going to let the world settle your tiny disputes? You know, if we treat one another like the world treats one another about the win, always winning, then why are we any better than the world? What's the point? What's the point of having a church family? We're actually worse because we expect it from the unrighteous, but we do expect the family to work things out. So here's what I'm saying. If you have problems with one another and you're both church people, you're both Christians, then work it out. Losing is not always the worst thing. Winning at the expense of a brother or a sister may be worse if the unbelievers who are looking on are saying, yeah, that's what we thought. They're just like us. So the fact that we have Jesus in our lives should make, should make a difference. And Paul's saying, don't bring your problems to the unrighteous unbelievers, because why? They're not kingdom-minded. 
They're not going to come from a place of love. They're going to come from a place of winning, of dominance, of you know, making the bride pay. That's what they're going to come from. So Paul goes on, talks about this in verse 9, and he characterizes these unrighteous people, these, uh, these courts that are really extremely you know, uh, unrighteous. So here it is, verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, <laughs> getting out of breath, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is Paul's short list. You know, there's a much longer list of things that I'm sure we could add, but this is the key here, verse 11. This is it. This is the gold of this passage. Such were some of you. Some of us, or all of us, were in this unrighteous camp at one time, right? But you were washed. And you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So when Paul refers to the unrighteous, he's referring to these judges and these courts, these people that he referred to in verse 1, that why would you take your disputes with a brother or sister back to them? You're not like them anymore. They are not your people. You're different than you used to be. You're a new person. You've been washed. You're clean. You've been sanctified. That means to be set apart, uh, to do things the way God does them, to be like God. Uh, you've been justified. The way I like to remember the word justified is just as if I had never sinned. You are justified. You are entirely cleansed. And so what do we do? We forgive one another because we've been forgiven. That's what we do, okay? And as a new person, your motives change. Uh, now it's less about winning, and it's more about loving. So number two in your notes, our motives change because we are new people. My motives change because I'm a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is what happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, can you say has become? Has become. Has become. It's happened a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This new life is a life of love. No longer do we live to win. We live to love. Love is the new win. This is the win in our lives. To do what's best for one another and to do what's best for the lost. To become a place where lost people can come. Where we, are, we have the least amount of barriers possible. And, and we defer to what their needs are in the sense of they need the love of Jesus. They need to thrive. They need to know Christ. They need to come to Jesus. That's the number one goal for lost people, right? Whatever else they do with their life, this list of sins that we have listed out, for a lost person, those sins aren't even the main thing. The main thing is they don't know Jesus. And so we want to open the door as wide as we can to let them know Jesus, right? So they can thrive. Now, most of you know that I installed a sprinkler system uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's so much fun. I get up really early in the morning, and the first one's set at four. And so I'll go out there, and I'll just stand and wait till it pops on. And then I'll do that with every zone. I've got like six zones, you know? And I'll go and stand just before they go, just because I love to hear that satisfying pop and, and watch the sprinklers. Because I, I used to be the hose guy, right? And now I'm the watcher guy. Isn't that awesome? And so, so I love my sprinkler system, but I've discovered something about 
I've discovered that if too many things are on at the same time, like if I got something running in the house, water, that my zones don't work and they'll just kind of droop and they won't, be, they won't be successful. They won't water my plants. And I love my plants. I love my plants. So my goal in life after loving you is to love my plants. And so I love my plants. I want you to thrive, but I want my plants to thrive too. And so I've, I've, I've noticed this. And so I can't run water in the house while I'm sprinkling my zones. But I have my zones set for 15 minutes. But they're on 20 minute, you know, the next one kicks in in 20. So I've got 15 minutes and then I've got five minutes that I can like take a shower. So there's times... <laughs> I'm, I kid you not. Now, I'm going to share something very vulnerable with you. <laughs> there are times when I'm ready to get in the shower, and I'll look at my watch, and it's like, oh, I've got one more minute or two more minutes. I will wait until the zone is done, and then I've got five minutes to get her done, right? And why? Why do I do that? I know it sounds crazy. You're like, get him out of here. But listen... It's because I want my plants to thrive. I don't want to short them anything that they need to thrive. And they need water. And so I will wait until the, I will defer to my plants. <laughs> I'll prefer my plants. You know, so that they can have the best chance of living a good life. And by the way, when they do that, they bless me. Right? Because I get flowers and I get leaves and all that. This is what it means to love the lost. It's to put yourself at a disadvantage so that the lost can be saved. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to look at chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. And at the end of chapter 9, there's this amazing part of Paul's letter where he talks about the links he'll go to in order to save a person. And Paul talks about, you know, so he was a Jew, right? A, Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. But when he met Christ, he put the law behind him. And Paul says in that passage, he says, I will even go back and submit myself to the law that I have walked away from, I'll go back and I will do the things that the other Jews are doing if it means I might be able to save some. And he says, I'll even go to the weak. I'll go to the weak and I'll become as the weak. I'll become as the Gentile. I'll become, now he won't sin, he won't cross the line of sin, but I'll do all that I can to connect with this population or this community or this demographic. I'll do whatever I need to do if it means they may come to Christ through me. And it's a beautiful thing to say no to myself so that I can say yes to somebody that's lost. Again, we don't, we don't cross the line of sin. And we don't, you know, we don't applaud sin. But we can remove the barriers as much as possible so that the lost can come. And it's about deferring. It's about preferring. It's about being a church that says we want every lost person in Whatcom County to come to Christ. That would be a win for the kingdom. And by the way, that's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus wants. So the Corinthian church was coming from a culture that said, whatever's good for me, that's what I want to do. That, that's the culture of the Corinthians. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to have sex with you. With you. I'm going to have sex with your prostitutes. And whatever feels good is what I'm going to do. So they bring this into the church. And Paul quotes them here in verse 12. They would say this. Here's the unrighteous Corinthians. They would say, all things are permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. Who's going to judge me? I can do what I want. To which Paul responded, yes, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things benefit you. And then they would counter again and they would say, yeah, but all things are permitted. I can do whatever I want. And Paul would say, that may be so, but you, but, but you shouldn't be mastered by anything. Like food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but don't let food become your master. 
Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying here. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. However, God will do away with both of them. And I know that, that oftentimes we go to food as our master. But God says, but, but Paul says, this is going to be a non-issue with God. He's going to do away with that. But then Paul focuses in on the other really more troubling area that the Corinthians were bringing into the church. And that was their sexual appetites. And so Paul focuses in on this because sexual appetites are a little bit different. Now I know that Steve taught us, and he's right, that there's, there are no hierarchies of sin in the sense that all sin needs forgiveness. And one sin is not harder for God to forgive than another. Now, God forgives all sin, right? And so that's true. But there are sins that have greater consequences than others. And sexual sin is one of those. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. And I don't want to unpack it for you with the sense of uh, it being rules that you have to keep. How I want to unpack it for you is that I wanted to make sense to you why sexuality is different than any other sin. So Paul ends this scripture and he says, The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, Jesus, but will also raise us through his power. What's Paul saying? You know, the Corinthians were saying it's just a body. We can stuff it if we want. We can have sex with it if we want. It doesn't matter. It's just a body. Uh, and God's going to do away with them both. And Paul was saying, look, it's not just a body. It's part of your whole personhood. And Paul introduces this idea that the body is not separate from the soul. In that they're interconnected. In fact, he used this Greek word soma. That, that really refers to the whole person. That what we do with our body impacts our soul. Would you agree with that? And what we do or what we think in our soul also directs what we do with our body. And so they are interconnected. You know, you know this. Emotionally, when you're having a bad day, what do you want to do? You want to eat. You want to drink. You want to sleep, right? Your emotional state impacts your body. And Paul is teaching this. And here's what he's saying. He's saying your soma, your whole being has been redeemed by Christ. Yes, you're going to get a new body. That's true. That's true. But your body is still holy unto the Lord. And your body and its passions are not separate from your soul or your spirit. And what you do with your body affects your soul. And how you think in your mind affects your body. And now, now, God lives in your soul. God lives in your body. And Paul is going to tell us this in a few minutes. And if he does, and because he does, then maybe we should behave differently than we did before. Right? Because we're one with him. Maybe we should behave, maybe we should live differently in this area of sexual, uh, sexuality than we did before. Why? Why? Because you involve God in everything you do. Good things, bad things. If your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you are one with Christ spiritually, then guess what? You take him wherever you go. He sees what you see, right? He doesn't enter into your sin with you, but he's well aware of what we do. And so number three in your notes, our behavior changes because we are united with Christ. Amen. Our behavior changes, should change, because we're united with Christ. Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Like this is this idea, you are unified with him. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Remember, part of their religion was they would go and have sex with the temple prostitutes. He says, never do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord, he who is joined 
to the Lord. I was a cabinet maker. I know about joinery. When you joint something together in cabinet making, it becomes the strongest piece in the whole piece of furniture or the, the thing. The, what is jointed together is the strongest part, right? And so uh, Paul says, uh, he has joined, you've been joined to the Lord and you're one spirit with him. You're one spirit. Okay, let's, let's listen to that a second here. You're one spirit with the Lord. What does that mean? How does that change how I behave? How does that change how I live? To understand that I'm one spirit with the Lord. So when we receive Christ, we're joined to him so that any sin that we practice, in essence, we're dragging him around with us because he lives in us. And so when we sin sexually, it carries a special weight. It's not harder for God to forgive. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's set apart sin for him to forgive or not even a worse sin, but the consequences of this sin are different than any other sin. And sex is different because it involves giving your whole self to somebody. It involves giving your soul. It involves giving your body. It involves giving your emotion um, in a way that you don't give in any other sin. And there's a reason why it's so powerful. It's because it's what God designed for oneness. So what Paul's saying is, here is, is when you go to a prostitute or a girlfriend or, you know, have an affair, you are joining yourself to that person. There's a oneness that's there. And this oneness was designed for only one person in your life, and that's your husband or your wife. That's what God designed this oneness for. And because it's also very powerful because sexual intimacy between a loving husband and wife, like the, the reason I said that about uh, the couple this morning is because they, they are modeling for us what it should be like. Here's a couple that loves each other and within that love had sexual intercourse. As a result of that, gave birth to this beautiful girl, Natalia, whose name means the birth of Christ. Okay, there's something powerful there. Yes. Like, you can't make this stuff up, right? I didn't plan to have them come and, and be a part of my sermon. But, you know, it's, it's true that there is something that happens in the context of covenant relationship that makes marriage or that makes uh, sexual intimacy a beautiful thing that should be celebrated in full confidence, not in shame or guilt. And I can tell you that's what goes along with, with sexual immorality is shame and guilt. So remember what Paul said in Ephesians 5. He said, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but here it is. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So loving husband and wife come together, sexual intimacy, may or may not get pregnant. That's not the key to this. But it's the loving union that is an illustration of the way Christ loves his church pretty powerful illustration and God came up with this idea at creation so marriage sexual intimacy between a man and a woman joins us together soul and body from the very beginning God designed sex to point to the greatest oneness we will ever know and that's the oneness with Christ individually but also the oneness Christ has with his church powerful, powerful illustration. When a man and a woman are married, they love each other, and that love results in sexual intimacy, it's as close as we can get to understanding the oneness that Christ has for us. 
I think that's why sometimes people say, it feels like I went to heaven. You know what I mean? I mean, there is something there. There is something there. And my wife will tell you, and I said this in front of her at the first service, and she didn't mind. (laughs) We talk about this stuff. And she will say to me, honey, I always feel closer to you when we've been intimate. I always feel more one with you when we've been intimate. Now, you know, we're intimate emotionally all the time. We're intimate as friends, as partners. We're intimate as parents. We're intimate in a lot of ways. But that one way is something that's a little different, wouldn't you say, than any other way. And I think it's because God designed it that way. So, on the flip side of that, when sex is used in any other way than the context that God gave us, it robs God of his glorious design. And it mars the beauty of the picture that he gave us to consider Christ and the church. You know, as I've told you over and over, I love plants. And so I've got this honeysuckle plant that I planted. And I love honeysuckle because if you know honeysuckle, when it blooms and evening comes and you sit out on your porch next to this plant, the aroma is amazing. Like there's no other plant I don't think that does as much as this honeysuckle does. And so I love the plant, and I planted it a couple years ago when we first built, and I'm like, I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait. The blooms are going to come, right? Blooms started coming. I came home one day, and I looked over at the plant, and it's like, there's something wrong with this plant. And I walk over to the plant, and literally it was crawling with aphids. It was crawling. And here's a picture of my poor plant after the aphids got to it, and this is after I'd sprayed it. (laughs) I made them pay, by the way. Um, But this was my plant, and I realized, okay, the plant's not going to die, but it's also not going to bloom this year, at least not very much. And I was sad about that, and I thought, these aphids have robbed me of the bloom of this beautiful plant, and I thought, aphids, you can go to hell. You know what I mean? And and I mean that. I think hell will have aphids. I really do. And so, um, you know, that was, that, was, that was the result of these aphids. Now, the next picture shows that it does recover. And this is the beauty. This is the beauty of the fact that sin may mar us and may hurt us. And there will be consequences. But we can recover. And there can be beauty once again. Amen. And so, I've done my share of sinning. And God has restored many areas of my life to, to bring beauty again. But, but that's what happens in the church when we give way to sin, and it doesn't have to be sexual, it can be any kind of sin, any kind of selfishness really, is like aphids that, that come and attack the body of Christ. And we may not die, but we'll languish. You know what I mean? We may not die, but we may never get to see the full beauty that God had in store for his church. And part of that beauty is the image of God in us. We are in his image He made us in his image. So to live out his image of love is how we're most likely to have beauty like this is what emerges from our church. Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, he made us, each in his image. We know this. Male and female. And then what did God do? Brought us back together. In union, and he called it marriage. And that union really was sexual intimacy, and he called it marriage, marriage between a man and a woman in the covenant relationship that God established 
for us. And Genesis says in 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Sexual sin disregards the beauty and glory of this covenant oneness. That's what sexual sin does. So again, I'm not giving you rules this morning. I'm not telling you you should or shouldn't or whatever. I'm just telling you what happens when we engage in adultery and fornication and in all the different kinds of sexual sin that there are. I want to mention one more thing as I close today. And and that is one other sacred blessing that comes from sexual intimacy. Sacred. like, Like nobody else, no other species on the planet gets to experience what we experience. And that is the blessing that comes from children, from having children. Now, other species have, you know, young, but they don't have children that bear the image of God. And it's very unique and sacred that God gave us, as husbands and wives, the ability to bring forth more little image bearers more image bearers of God. And each, each one, I believe from conception, each one has a soul that has the ability to know God. Little Natalia, who we looked at so beautiful this morning, what's most beautiful about her is that she has a soul that has the potential to know God and to be one of his own children. And God entrusts that to us. Can you believe that? And then we get to raise them and hopefully, like, like Carlos and Raquel, hopefully in, you know, in the love of Jesus so that they become in Christ all that he wants them to be. And this is the most sacred way we can be like God is by bringing forth more little image bearers. Now, we can be like God in a lot of ways. We can love like God. We can forgive like God. But this is unique to our species. And does it surprise you that this is the area that the enemy would attack the hardest? Because we're talking image of God. Image of God, okay? So why would not the enemy try to mar and defame what God has called holy and what God has called sacred? So Paul ends this way. I'm going to end this way too, verse 18. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. It's, it's out there. But sexual immorality, we sin against our own body. Do you not know that if you receive Christ, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I want to invite the worship team to come, and, and I want to help you today um, affirm in your own life that you are one spirit with Christ and we're going to do that through communion communion is a beautiful way of just remembering that that Jesus died for our sins he came and he came to seek and save us when we were lost and he has done that for those of us who have said yes to Jesus Um, and that's called being one spirit with him one spirit with him And so we want to celebrate that today, and we want to invite you that as the band plays this first song to come on down to the front or to the back and get your communion elements. You can do the prepackaged kind, or we have the open germ-filled kind as well. Um, (laughs) They put the paper on there so I don't spew on it. Um, so, So come on down, receive your elements, go back to your seat, and then I'm going to lead you through hopefully a meaningful time of 
reestablishing we are one spirit with Christ. Let's stand. Come on down whenever you're ready. Get your elements.